This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, September 18th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer in Detroit in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW strike enters day four and union president Sean Fain gives an update. We've uh, had minimal conversations over the weekend, so, uh, you know, the ball's still in their court. So, uh, you know, we're going to keep moving as we have and, uh, and just see how things progress. The latest on the strike against the Detroit three automakers coming up. Also, Honda gets its mojo back ahead of schedule. And Lithia agrees to buy Pendragon's UK dealerships. Plus, Ford Blue President Kumar Galhotra talks about the company's quest to cut complexity in its manufacturing process. If you have fewer parts, you then have fewer parts to test. So it's better for quality. Uh, it's better for cycle time. Lots and lots of opportunity, both uh, efficiency and quality. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Progress is slow. That's how UAW President Sean Fain described the latest contract talks to NPR this morning. We have a long way to go. And uh, if the company does not respect the demands of our workers, then we will we will escalate action. Nearly 13,000 UAW workers are on strike at three U.S. assembly plants, one at each of the Detroit three automakers. Fain has declined to say when he might announce a second wave of plants to join the strike. On Sunday, he said the union and the Detroit Three remain far apart on contract agreements to end the strike. The two sides continue to negotiate. Today marks the fourth day of the historic strike. Automotive suppliers are preparing for potential layoffs should it be a prolonged work stoppage. On Friday, members and supporters rallied in downtown Detroit. At that rally, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders was among those who showed support for UAW members. All of you know that there was once a time when a union job in the automobile industry was the gold standard for the working class in America. Well, we are determined to bring those days back again. Over the weekend, Stellantis released details of its most recent offer, which matched the 20% raises offered by GM and Ford. The proposals are about half the wage hike the UAW is demanding through 2027. Besides higher wages, the UAW is demanding shorter work weeks, restoration of defined benefit pensions, and stronger job security as automakers make the EV shift. On Saturday, Stellantis North America COO Mark Stewart told reporters the UAW rejected a proposal to resume operations at an assembly plant in Belvedere, Illinois. 
He said the automaker's offer had been contingent on reaching an agreement before the contract expiration. Earlier this year, Stellantis idled operations at the plant indefinitely, citing rising cost of EV production. The UAW criticized the company position, saying it sees workers as a bargaining chip. Turning to other news, the Honda brand is in the midst of a swift recovery from a pandemic and chip shortage-related sales slump. It's on track to close 2023 with sales of 1.2 million vehicles. That's nearly 319,000 more vehicles than Honda sold last year. Through the first eight months of the year, Honda volume is up 30%. The Japanese automaker was heavily affected by production delays and supply chain problems and struggled to get inventory to dealers last year. It closed 2022 down 33%. And Lithium Motors has agreed to buy Pendragon's United Kingdom dealerships and fleet business. It's a deal that combines Lithia's merger and acquisition prowess and future business strategies. It will also form a joint venture for Pendragon's dealership management system, Pinewood. Lithia CEO Brian DeBoer explains. Together with Pinewood, Lithia is going to leverage its assets to build a North American solution, software solution, DMS solution to bring to market over the next three to five years. Lithia plans to acquire Pendragon's 160 retail locations across the UK. Most are new vehicle dealerships under the Stratstone or Evans Howshaw branding. It will also acquire Pendragon Vehicle Management, a vehicle fleet management platform made up of 15,000 to 20,000 vehicles in the UK. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll hear from Ford Blue President Kumar Galhotra about the company's big hopes for hybrids and its efforts to improve quality. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. 
Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Last week before the Detroit Auto Show, Ford unveiled its 2024 F-150 pickup as well as a hybrid variant. It lowers the price of the hybrid powertrain introduced two years ago by nearly $2,000 from what Ford charged for most of the past year. That makes the hybrid F-150 cost roughly the same as some gasoline-only versions. It's a reflection of Ford's broader strategies for its gasoline-burning models. Not only is it moving farther into hybrids, it's also becoming less complex to build. Kumar Galhotra is the president of Ford Blue, the automaker's unit in charge of internal combustion vehicles. He spoke with publisher Casey Crane last week at Automotive News Congress in Detroit shortly before the F-150 reveal. Here's a piece of their conversation. As everyone is sunsetting the combustion engine, how do you guys think about it? Well, I think propulsion uh, isn't going to be as binary as folks thought even like two, three years ago. That it was going to be either uh, internal combustion or pure BEVs. Uh, we think there's going to be quite a bit of con- continuum in the middle, So, the, at least for us. Uh, full hybrids are going to play um, a big role. Plug-in hybrids are going to play a big role, but even things like range extenders. Uh, so there's going to be a whole continuum. Um, and from the blue pers- Ford Blue perspective, we are investing in all of those, uh, those categories. Uh, if you look at the Chinese market, I think it becomes really clear over there. Uh, it is shocking how many different propulsion systems there are between pure rice and pure BAV. Um, and it's, it's going to be, I think, necessary from compliance perspective, from customer perspective, um, as well as just providing choice to the customer. You know, every customer has their own duty cycle, uh, and either end of the spectrum may or may not meet your requirements. Yeah, um, you know, you guys have, have been always about growth, selling more F-150s, selling more, you know, Explorers. Um, I, I think it was on the last earnings call that Jim uh, said he'd like to quadruple hybrid sales. Yeah. <laughs> Did he tell you about that before the call? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we are, we're already doing quite well. We are um, the number three brand uh, just behind Toyota, Honda in hybrid sales. Um, we're the number one pickup truck brand in hybrid sales. And we're going to reveal the new F-150 tonight. So, um, yeah, we're going to try to grow, not try to, we are growing uh, hybrid take rates, both in uh, F-150 and uh, in Maverick. We just, Maverick's been a huge uh, success, especially with the hybrid. We just added another shift in that plant uh, because the demand's been so strong, primarily hybrid demand. Uh, I can see a time where uh, F-150 in near future becomes the, 
the number one hybrid vehicle by volume because the, you know. to hit some of those targets, do we need other nameplates? Well, all, yes. Uh, so we're going to invest more in other nameplates, but we already have pretty much hybrids everywhere. You know, they're in uh, um, F-150 and Maverick and Escape and uh, Explorer and uh, Lincoln, uh, PHEVs in Lincoln and Aviator and in Corsair. So they're pretty much throughout our portfolio, but we're going to continue to to grow that. And, and you know, you mentioned F-150s. Um, when you think about China, the U.S., when you when you look at Europe. Um, how does that spread vary by region? So F-150 specifically is pretty much a North American phenomenon. For sure. Uh, did you mean like the hybrid uh, yeah. stuff? Yeah. Um, actually, Europe is a bit ahead of uh, uh, the rest of the world. Uh, well, certainly North America and uh, uh, take rates for BEVs, uh, but hybrids are quite popular and growing uh, there. And in China, like I said, it's the entire spectrum. It's everything between a pure ice and a pure BEV. But of course, BEVs are growing the fastest in, in China. It remains to be seen how many of those pure BEV Chinese companies are making money, but they're, they're, there's quite a few of them. I'll say, they were all over the Munich show last week. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you'd, obviously, we've talked about the F-150. Um, when you think about inventory, do dealers have enough trucks? They do, yeah. We're very uh, happy with where we've been slowly over the last about 12 to 18 months coming out of first the, the pandemic and the chip crisis. Uh, not just us, the whole industry has been able to uh, grow uh, inventories to the right level. Um, I think all of us are being very disciplined uh, not to get into the behaviors of over-inventorying and, and then uh, taking a lot of incentives. So. We, we think it's just about the right balance where we are right now, especially in pickup trucks. And have the variants for the pickups changed since COVID coming out? Are, are truck buyers buying the same trucks they bought? Not a whole lot has changed, no. Okay. No. Um, and then, you know, Maverick comes out. Um, that one seems like it's a little harder to get. That's why we just added the third shift in that plan, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's been a runaway success, yeah. It's been a runaway. Yeah. And, and volume, you think we can keep increasing? Third shift was announced. Uh, third, not just announced. We're actually building in the thir on the third shift in that vehicle uh, and still not enough vehicles. So uh, it's, it's been a phenomenal success. And, and what's been really interesting is, is bringing in customers that were not Ford customers. So a lot of conquest coming in. Secondly, I just thought it would be uh, naively thought that it mostly be pickup customers, customers who felt Ranger was too big for them, maybe. Um, but to our surprise, uh, top three or four nameplates are all small cars, small sedans, uh, mostly from Japanese and Korean OEMs, uh, those buyers uh, leaving those vehicles coming into the Maverick. And then last month, um, Pebble Beach, GTD. Yeah. yeah. Are you getting one of those? I I, th I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, how do you guys look at that when you think about Mustang share? Is that a new buyer or is that a Mustang? Oh, yeah. It, it's, uh, well, Mustang, it's such an icon around the world, uh, the best-selling sports car globally. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that think of Mustang only as a uh, uh, North American phenomenon, but it's, it's very popular in, in the rest of the world. 
Um, as a brand, it's very, uh, very strong. Therefore, the Mustang GTD, which is true Mustang. But given the pricing and a very unique usage of that vehicle, I, I think it'll be a slightly different customer. The rocket ship usage? That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, shifting gears a little bit over to quality and, and manufacturing, um, it, you know, it feels like Ford's been obsessed with, you know, just improving the challenges you guys have faced uh, a few years back. You know, what do those processes look like now? And do you feel like there's been, you know, massive improvement there? There's, there's a lot more work to do, but there's been a substantive change year over year uh, from 21 to 22 to 23. Um, but even where we are now in 23, it, it puts us in the middle of the pack. And it's obviously not something we're satisfied with being in the middle of the pack. But the, uh, the sheer slope of improvement is quite impressive. Um, you know, like, like any other OEM, our quality issues more or less come from three areas. You know, there could be the defects we build in our assembly plant, could be, you know, things like paint and dirt alignment, that kind of stuff. Uh, it can be, um, we get bad parts from one of our supplier partners, an issue in their manufacturing process. Uh, and thirdly, where our own product development system uh, was lacking in some way. The design wasn't robust enough. So there are dedicated teams in all of those areas, improving those processes every day. So uh, Super Duty, we just launched that, is a great example, the new Super Duty, where we changed the test regime. We put more miles on our durability vehicles. Uh, instead of testing to a certain bogey, we test to failure so that we know where the eventual weak point of any system is. Uh, we're totally revamping how we work with our suppliers and how we get them ready for our production and our launches. Uh, and of course, the manufacturing systems, you know, always, always uh, continuous improvement mindset there. So I, I would say great improvement over last, you know, from 21 to 20 to 23, but more work to do. And what roles does, does complexity play there? I mean, the, the industry has a bit of a uh, bad reputation for the legacy part of our business and, and yeah just because of the way we've been doing it. Uh, have you guys been able to find any new areas of, of complexity you can take out of the business? So I, I wouldn't say a new concept, it's just the discipline. So the F-150 we're gonna reveal today, I, I, I don't have the exact number, but the buildable combination were like in over a billion and we're gonna go down to like few hundred. Um, the combinations used to be over a billion yeah. of the way you could build your truck. Yeah. 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 That's complex. It's very complex. Yeah. Well, we, we sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of them. But still, there was always this internal tension of the marketing team wanting to always have the opportunity to be able to provide precisely the customer might want when they walk into the dealership. But given the, the kind of product we make, that those opportunities are endless. And if you do the analysis of you know, where the peak is and how long a tail there is on that distribution, there are lots of lots and lots of um, combinations that we were building like one a year. So we got rid of all of those uh, and really have gotten it down to all of our vehicles now uh, under a, you know, double digit kind of numbers for, for complexity. I can't even imagine the kind of flow through that 
efficiency brings to the process. It, it is amazing. Uh, so, you know, if you have, well, one of the things you got to watch out for, you don't just remove combinations. Number of parts have to come out with it. Because if you're still having the same number of parts, then you, it's not as much progress. But if you have fewer parts, you then have fewer parts to test. So it's better for quality. Uh, it's better for cycle time. Uh, it's better for um, line space. Uh, as most of you have probably seen uh, assembly lines, uh, you know, we used to have hundreds of wire harnesses sitting next to the Explorer assembly line. Well, you can't put them there because there's not enough space, so then you end up uh, sequencing them. A lot of the suppliers would know what that means. You know, you literally build the wire harnesses in sequence, you ship them in sequence, and then you bring them to the line side in sequence, and then you put them in the vehicle in sequence. So you mess up one of those, then your sequence is all messed up. Uh, and we've gone down to, I think, nine main harnesses now, so you can just stack them next to the... To the uh, to the line. So lots and lots of opportunity, both uh, efficiency and quality. Kumar Galhotra is president of Ford Blue. He spoke with our publisher, Casey Crane, last week at Automotive News Congress in Detroit. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Alicia Anderson, as well as our own Michael Martinez, Kurt Nagel, Arlie Schaffner, and Jack Walsworth for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on vehicle sales, the UAW strike, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Hyundai COO Jose Munoz. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.